our passage is from Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. So if you would stand with me um, and follow along as I read God's word from Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'm going to pray for Michael as he comes up. Dear Father, um, thank you so much for my brother and sister, Michael and Rachel, and thank you for the endless love that you have given to them, Father, the perfect love that you have shown them. Thank you, God, that you have called them to yourself and that they get to go and participate in the Great Commission, God, that they are pressing the coming of your kingdom, Lord, and we long for that. We long for your kingdom to come and for there to be an end uh, to tragedy and to sin and to brokenness. So I just want to pray for Michael as he begins to share your word today, God, and um, I pray, God, that he would just soak it in and be at peace and be humbled Um, and honored that you have bestowed upon him the gifts and the blessings um, and the abilities that you have. And I pray, God, that you would lead him with conviction and love as he gives us this sermon. I pray that you would ready our hearts in receiving the truth of your word, um, knowing that this word is living and active, God. It cuts deeper than sin. It cuts deeper than darkness, Father. And I just pray that you would help us to know that um, in hearing of your word, we are hearing truth. We are hearing authority. We are hearing something that is living and active. And so I just thank you for Michael. Amen. Well, it's been an emotional morning already. Um, we have two gatherings, and so I've, I've been through some of this already. Um, uh, there's a lot of feelings uh, today that we're going to make it through this sermon. You guys are going to bear with me, um, but if I make eye contact with the right person, I might just like burst into tears, so just, you know... Uh, get ready for for the journey that's about to happen. Um, And, you know, like the COVID vaccine, this is my second dose of this this morning, so, um, yeah, you're welcome for that. That's a freebie. That's not even in my notes. Uh, It's from the heart. But as as it was mentioned, uh, my wife and I are right around the corner from our transition to North Carolina, and we're just so very grateful for the opportunities that we've been given to, to lead you in worship and to teach the Word of God over these years, and, and we feel very loved and very equipped for what God has in store for us. So I'm excited about our passage this morning, and our time you know, is a little bit short, so we're going to get started. I'm going to say a, one more quick little prayer, um, and we'll get going this morning. 
Father, I ask in these next moments that um, you would keep me silent where necessary, Lord, that you would give me boldness where necessary, that you would soften our hearts to the truth of your gospel this morning, and Lord, that you would bring transformation, renewal, and revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Our, our goal this morning is, is relatively simple, um, yet profound. We're going to work our way through this passage. I have a pretty straightforward outline to bring us where I, I think the Apostle Paul is, wants to have us, and that is relishing the good news of Jesus. And so we, there's one point, you know, if, if you remember anything, this is your takeaway. Only Jesus removes the curse of sin. And so I, I split the, the, the passage up into three sections. Um, the first is the impossible standard. The second is living by faith instead. And finally, the curse removed. All driving us, kind of steering us in the direction that only Jesus removes the curse of sin. And so let's start at verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So right away, there's, there's two common errors, I think, that exist amongst believers and, and non-believers alike that are defeated with this text. And the, the first is our tendency to make our own standard that we and others live by. And it's an impossible standard to live by because it changes all the time. Most of the time, we don't even know what it is. We're just, when, when that invisible standard is upset, perhaps by others sinning against us, it throws us all, all off on balance. It's, it's, it's like when you're a kid and you were playing games in the neighborhood, but the rules of the game you made up as you went. It's imaginary at best. But the other error, and, and perhaps more common, and maybe what's going on in Galatia, is, is this holding too low of a view of our sin and or holding too low of the, a view of the holiness of God. Paul wants his readers to understand that sin is anything short of the perfect holiness of God. Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden they took a bite of fruit, and that was enough to separate mankind from God, to send the world under the curse. And so it's not almost perfection, it's utter perfection, is what the law requires. And it echoes the sentiment that you hear um, Jesus say these words in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so Paul is reiterating what other scriptures have stated, that, that picking certain laws to follow was not enough. You have to follow it all to perfection, and that is a curse. No one can do this. None of us are perfect, and the standard is not flexible. And so we see this play out quickly because the Old Testament passages that Paul is quoting here to, to make this argument are saying, in order for reliance on the law to work, to, in, in order for it to do what you want it to do, you can't just follow the one, you have to follow all of it. And so we see this play out in their lives, and, and Paul, is, it's very easy to point these things out, but it's also apparent in our lives as well. This is very easy for us to experience on the day-to-day. How many New Year's resolutions have we bombed by February? 
I mean, maybe even like by the second week of January. Most of us cannot endure whole 30 for longer than a week. But this is just self-help, let alone the holy law of God followed to utter perfection. So more than just trying to better ourselves, trying to have a better me this year, we have all felt the despair of realizing yet again that we fall short of the standard. We fall short of who we thought we were. We fall short of who we wanted others to think we are. We're disappointed. And this thought comes into our mind when we sin. How how could I do this again? We think that we are better than we are. And so it might be tempting for us, as it was the, the Galatians, to have some sort of external sign or gesture to assure ourselves or to assure others that we are right in God's eyes. You know, like, I, I did the thing. I've, I've, I've checked off the marks. Like, I'm, I did what I'm supposed to do. But only Jesus removes the curse of sin. The law and all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were only pointing to him in the first place. He's the fulfillment. And so it's not only a hopeless curse, but to live this way is actually living as Christ did not come at all. So so what then? Okay, we've established the hopelessness, and now we move to living by faith instead. Paul goes on in verse 11. Now... It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So so not only is the law impossible for man to keep perfectly, but scripture says that the, the people of God are called to live by faith anyway not by the law. There's a clear-cut distinction between the law and faith. One is not the other. You cannot have both. And this is really a glimpse into the broader argument that Paul makes throughout his entire letter that to depend on the law for justification, for right standing by God, is by definition to exclude faith. He's arguing that they're incompatible and you cannot have one with the other. So this idea that God has saved you, he's given you righteousness through Christ Jesus, but now you have to maintain your status, friends, this idea is not biblical. It's the very idea that Paul is combating. Only Jesus removes the curse of sin, and his sacrifice was once for all. On the cross, your sins were paid for, my sins were paid for, past, present, and future. Hear the writer of Hebrews In chapter 9, he says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Many of us have our own functional law still, though. We, we see this. This sounds good. But it's hard to escape that desire to contribute 
to earn, to feel like we're in the place of deserving. So we turn the spiritual disciplines, which are good and life-giving, and we make them our own sort of law. We use this as a gauge to measure our standing with God, and we put the same pressure on others. And so if we've been reading our Bibles diligent every day to check the box off, we tend to feel right with God. But Paul says, no, you are right with God because of Jesus. Only Jesus removes the curse, not your discipline. Okay, so what does living by faith look like then? It's, you know, faith is not the law. So how do we avoid making our own works of the law? What does it look like? And I think this is the question that Paul is answering in the next couple of verses, and it's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. This is exactly where we need to find ourselves, honestly, day to day as a believer. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the curse is not that someone would follow the law or, or even the desire to follow it, you know, is not, is not, that's not the curse, like I desire to follow it. No, that's a good thing. But the curse is on everyone who fails to do it perfectly and in whole. That's us. Christ Jesus is the only man to walk the earth and follow the law perfectly. He was without sin. He lived by the law. He was actually righteous, and he did not have to die to make himself righteous. He did it to make us righteous. Our sins had to be paid for, and for the believer in Christ, that debt is paid. And so even though he followed the entire perfect law, he still chose to lay down his life. And he said, treat me like they should be treated. Punish me like they should have been punished. Friend, he took our place. He became the curse. He received the wrath meant for us. Christ was not meant to be an example that we strive to live by, to measure up to. If that was the case, then he didn't need to die. And in fact, he shouldn't have. But hallelujah, he is our savior, not our example. He didn't, he did what we could not and what we cannot, but he kept on. He didn't just say, see, I did it. He says, I did it for you. I laid down my life for you. And so Christ is not the ultimate example we strive to follow that defeats the purpose of the gospel. As Jeff Vanderstelf puts it, He says, our job is not to be Jesus, but to depend on him. Christ is our savior. He is the redeemer. He is the rescuer. And if you're here and you you don't yet believe, I want to invite you to meet Jesus today. And if that question is itching in the back of your mind, okay, so what does that mean? What do I need to do? I'll give you the answer that Jesus gave. In John chapter six, it says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Christians, this means for us that repentance is not cleaning up your act first. We don't 
fix you know, the external behavior and then go to God. Like, I made myself right and now I'm gonna turn to Jesus. No, we take that mess to Jesus again and again. It's only grace that compels true repentance anyway. Only coming face to face with the reality of the gospel will push us into a life that's lived beautifully. We turn to the cross. As Tim Keller put it in the Galatians for You commentary, he says, we go on as we began having our hearts melted and molded by knowing and trusting Christ crucified. We never move on from the gospel. We never can and never need to. So in closing this morning, um, I said this earlier and I still stand by it. it. It's hard to teach all that and then give application. I don't want, <laughs> that's kind of, it's like that kind of goes against the message. It's like, all right, so here's what you're gonna do with this. Um, but it's helpful to know how this plays out in, in real life. So what does it look like then? And I think the temptation is to believe that it's, it's too simple to just look at the cross. Is that it? Friend, that's it. <laughs> but because I love you, I'll give you some, some points of application of how, this, how believing this way might show itself in your life. At first and foremost, it puts self-righteousness to death. This takes us off our holy high horse and reminds us, as Jonathan Edwards put it, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And so we start with nothing to offer and we go to the cross. That puts us in a good starting place and it leads to this, the second way this will kind of show itself in your life to believe this way, to, to trust in Jesus. It's gonna cultivate humility and grace and so it's been said here at Chorus, and I'll say it again loud and clear, that as believers, we should be the least defensive people and the most gracious people that, that anybody interacts with. If, if Christ is our defense and our identity is in him, then we need not stand up for our namesake or our reputation. And so we can let accusations fall where they may and rest in who Christ Jesus says we are. And so as we stand against injustice or discuss political differences, Christ must be our king, not the tribe that we're in. And lastly, a life lived this way will make confessing sin a rhythm rather than something to be avoided. It makes confessing sin normal Throughout the years, Dan Glosson and I have had a regular rhythm off and on of confessing sin and praying together. And there was a season where we, we were listening to a lot of sermons and like I would hear one, I'd be like, dude, you gotta listen to this sermon. It's really great. Um, probably a little too much. And somewhere in there, we heard this phrase, drag it into the light and kill it. And that's kind of been a, a, a benchmark for our confession time. Let's drag it into the light and let it die. We don't need to hang on to it. We don't need to hide it. We don't need to walk in shame. If there's a habitual sin that you struggle with, the gospel frees you from guilt and shame, and it turns you into the kind of person that can confess sin unashamed. Or maybe it's something that you've never confessed. You might think, well, I've never done that thing again. I stopped it. I stopped the action. 
Okay, so, so friend, you, you changed your behavior. I want to ask you, what does it look like to trust and believe that Christ died for that sin? He took your punishment. He took your shame. So confess freely. Hear what it, hear what it says in 1 John verses 7 through 9. 1 John 1 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, only Jesus lived that perfect life. Only Jesus could take our place and die the death that we deserved. Only Jesus could conquer sin and death and bring the blessing of Abraham to us, the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit of God through faith. Only Jesus removes the curse of sin. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. God, I ask that as we go today and enter into another week and um, Monday or Tuesday morning when life feels kind of normal, we're just at work or maybe it's a day off, Lord, that the gospel truth would drive us even in the moments that feel insignificant, Lord that your word, your gospel would be beautiful to us once again, that you would renew a zeal that we once had in, in our lives, God, and that if that zeal's here now, God, that you would just kindle more of that fire. God, I pray for revival and renewal in Karis Church and in the church broader, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, will you enable us by your spirit to enter into that rest, to to see that grace, to experience it in life-changing ways. In Christ's name I pray, amen.